Thanks for tuning in to the Newborn Promise Podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. You are listening to an interview with Kelsey Myers called Your Baby's Amazing Brain. For today's show notes, transcript, and more information about your Newborn Promise Project, please visit GrahamBlanchard.com. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Audra Haney. We know our babies are fearfully and wonderfully made. They come in awe-inspiring packages that have us in tears from the day they are born. But before they start smiling, waving, toddling, or talking, it's hard to know what's going on in their brain. The first few months can even feel like a constant rotation of eating, sleeping, and diaper changes. But today, Kelsey Myers gives us a sneak peek into your baby's amazing brain and tips for how we as parents can nurture their mental health. Kelsey is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Virginia and is the program director for the Center for Being Known. Through the center, Kelsey develops curriculum and provides training around the concepts of neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. And Kelsey brings the oh-so-relevant and fresh perspectives of a mom with two young boys. We hope her insights fascinate you and inspire you as much as they did us. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get started, I would love to hear about your practice and the Center for Being Known. What really drew you into this field and why are you so passionate about it? Mm, Yeah, that's a great question. I had a lot of really wonderful people who really saw me as a child, um, and they have been drawing out a lot of the things that I believe that God designed in me uh, just innately. And so they've been calling those things out of me for quite some time. So I've, I've known for a long time that I wanted to be a counselor of some sort. And so I've um, been in this type of work even before I went to college, which is, I'm learning a little bit unique. Um, but I had a lot of experiences with my own story that required a lot of healing. Mm -hmm. And so as I encountered specifically this work of being known, which is kind of a specialized way that we are thinking about the intersection of interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation, as I have incorporated that work, I've just seen exponential healing, both in my own life um, and in the lives of the clients that I work with uh, and the people that we have been training now uh, in the most recent past. So that has been what's drawn me and that has been what's kept me. Wow. I love hearing that. And I love how God uses some of the places in our lives that he heals to touch others as well. You are a mom also, which brings such a great angle to today's interview How has being a mom changed you, both as a person and as a counselor? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say we would have a shorter discussion about what has remained unchanged, and I'm pretty (laughs) sure my eye color hasn't changed. (laughs) Uh, But I can honestly say that my journey into parenthood has been the most transformational experience of my life, um, both in really beautiful and joyful ways and in really painful ways. And so I have, I have a passion, um, 
for families and for helping people to understand their story and make sense of their story so that they can be walking into relationships from a place of healing. And so that has really, I would say that that has become um, a much bigger focus as I've become a mom and as I've had my own little ones really wanting to steward their hearts well and um, just be aware of the ways that my story impacts them. Wow, love hearing that. It's so neat. And and Kelsey, today we want to talk about our baby's amazing brain. You know, as new parents, it's easy to think in many ways that those first few months, um, there's not much happening. Just a lot of eating, sleeping, and diaper changes. But there's some incredible things happening from the very beginning. And you kind of specialize in the neurobiology field. Would you mind telling us about the value in those first few years of life, especially when it comes to the brain? So I think one thing that I'll say before I even move into any of the the neurobiology of what's happening is if these, if y'all listening or anything like me, um, my shame attendant, which is one of the things that we refer to in our work, you know, that voice that really wants to have a say that brings down any level of goodness and beauty I'm bringing into the world. Um, if your shame attendant is as active as mine was, he is going to try to have a field day with this information. So mm. I just want you to be aware, even as you're listening, uh, that anything that I share, my intention is to give you inspiration and motivation and creativity in your parenting. And if you start to feel any level of shame, I just want to invite you to release that because uh, it really means it, it has no place in your parenting. Uh, and so we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about the shame piece going on. I just wanted to name that because uh, I can tell you the first time I engaged any of this material, uh, the, the first things popping into my mind are, I'm not doing that. I didn't do that. I'm not doing that. So yes. I just wanted to be really clear about that. <laughs> yes, there's so much grace and help in this as we grow as families, probably more than we could ever comprehend. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. But yeah, there are some really exciting and beautiful things that are happening in our little one's brains. And it's it's pretty incredible. It strikes awe in me every time I think about these beautiful new brains and how they're designed. But we are we are born with a hundred billion neurons, mm. uh, which is way more than we have as adults. And the interesting part about that is that only 17% of those neurons are linked at birth. And those are the ones that are helping your baby's heart beat, helping your baby digest, helping kind of those autonomic functions. The rest of them really come from engagement. They come from social interaction. They come from looking at your face. They come from um, all of the ways that we engage them. And so there is a pruning process that happens for our little ones. So uh, we, we begin with endless possibilities for connection. And then based on the things that we encounter the most, uh, there's a there's a helpful pruning process because if you can imagine a hundred 
billion neurons and the number of connections that those can make, that's a pretty overwhelming uh, exposure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that pruning process needs to happen uh, so that our brain can operate more efficiently, right? And so as that, as we are engaging our little ones, there are pruning processes that are happening that are really helpful. Uh, and I will say there are some extreme cases such as babies growing up in orphanages where there are things where there's a lot of neglect Mm -hmm. um, and there's not a lot of stimulation and there can be kind of an extreme pruning process and it's it's an over pruning process and that can actually create some long-term difficulty for that child but I want to be clear that those are those are pretty specialized in extreme cases uh for the most part, if you are engaging with your baby, if you are um, mostly attuned to their cries and being attentive to the things that they need, that pruning process is going to happen in really beautiful ways and in unique ways, too, because all families are different. The things that we attend to, the things that we see, the things that we're exposed to, all of those will be different. And that, that creates so much beauty in what we have in the human race. And so there's really no, there's no um, prescription. There's no equation for what your baby needs to be exposed to. Those are designed into your family. So I would invite people to kind of relax around, you know, how many things your child needs (laughs) to be exposed to, what colors, all of that kind of thing. Yes, there are things that, you know, um, can be more or less helpful in some ways, shapes and forms, but for the most part, really just relaxing into what God has designed into your family, your culture, um, and being aware of those things. And I think when we couple that with the idea that God has purposefully placed that child in our family, and we have built into our family all that we need for their calling in life, that is so empowering. Um, But in that, what are some intentional and creative ways parents can connect with their children and What happens in the brain when we engage in this way? I would say the most important factor when you are connecting with your child is your own attunement to them. And so what I mean by attunement is the way that you are reading the things that they need. And uh, we can do that in a variety of ways, but that, that in some ways links back to our own story. Mm-hmm. And so you're hearing me talk a lot about that because it's really important. Um, and the ways that we learned to connect are generally the ways that we are going to most readily and most automatically connect with our little ones. And so to, to just be aware of the ways that you feel most comfortable connecting with your child Um and if for some reason that causes you any level of concern, uh, you know, that you're not attuning in the right way or you're concerned about that, first of all, I would say that if you're concerned about that, then you're already aware and you're already attuned <laughs> to something. Uh, so take heart. Uh, but I think there is value in um Maintaining a level of community when you're connecting with your child. So being around other parents as you're connecting and watching the ways that they're connecting with their children too, not out of a source of comparison, but just out of a source of curiosity. What are the the new and creative ways that you can be engaging mm-hmm. your child? I would say that um, just, you know, some specific things, babies 
come into the world looking for someone looking for them. Mm-hmm. And that never, ever stops. And so they are looking for your face. They are looking for your eyes to light up when you see them. They are looking to connect, right? We, and we continue to do this our entire lives. And so it, to the degree that you can be present, with your child. There's really no, there's no toy or color or book that you necessarily need. I mean, your face, your body, your presence with them is the most brain stimulating, beautiful thing that you can do for them. Because remember, as that pruning process is happening, they're going to be attuned to your face and what they're receiving from you. And so uh, the more that you are engaging with them and being present in their space, letting them know that their needs will be met, that's a really valuable thing for their brain to see and learn. Mm, And to just circle back to what you mentioned earlier, there can be a lot of false guilt. We can hear these facts and maybe think we should be engaging our children 24-7 And with the weight of life's responsibilities and all the other things we have on our plate too, that can feel really heavy. So what is a realistic and healthy amount of engagement? Yeah, that's a really important question. I'm so glad you asked that because it actually isn't healthy for us to be 100% connected Mm. to our child, right? Because our brains need to learn even as infants that we can be okay on our own or with someone else. So if I, if every moment of distress is immediately attended to and squelched, my body and my brain can't actually learn that I have any level of resilience, that I can walk through distress and be okay. And so I will tell you, so there's, uh, there's a theory called attachment theory and we won't go too far into that. Um, But what that basically says is the ways that our brains learn that they will be attended to in the first 18 to 24 months of life, that that tends to follow us into our relationships moving forward. And the important thing to know about that is that for a secure attachment to form, what, what science is showing us is that for a secure attachment, Parents are generally attuned to their children about 40% of the time. So that is really encouraging news, right? (laughs) That we don't necessarily need to be on the floor with eye contact eight out of the 12 hours they're awake during the day, right? That that's actually probably not helpful to them. That can squelch some of their own creativity, some of their wonder, right? If I'm, if I'm, seeing my little one playing on the floor with some blocks and she's totally content, leave her there. Because <laughs> there are things happening in her brain that are really beautiful independently. And what can actually happen is if I'm not attuned to the fact that she is happily playing independently and I just run over and scoop her up, that can actually be some somewhat jarring for her system, right? Because she's attuned to what she's doing. And if I'm not joining her in that and then kind of moving into that place of engaging her in something different, that can actually be kind of jarring. And so as you are kind of moving, and there's a rhythm to this, right? There's You're moving into connection with them and out of connection with them. As they learn that, I mean, that kind of mirrors how the world works, right? So we are not in constant contact with the people that we're securely <laughs> attached to at all times, right? We move toward them. 
we feel secure again, and then we are free to move away from men and to go explore our world. And that's a really important skill for our kids to be learning. Wow, that's so great to hear. And you know, there are families where it is necessary or even preferable for both parents to work. Talk to me about the power of reconnecting after these times apart. Yeah, so in situations where people are away and then reconnecting, so parents are away either at work or um, on travel and then come back and reconnect, one of the most important things that I could emphasize is that rather than the amount of time we are necessarily spending with our child, like that, that's important, mm-hmm. but more important than that is our level of presence and attunement when we're with our children, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we all know with technology, with a million different things going on, I could be in my house with my child all day and not attuned for a minute, mm-hmm. right? And so what I would what I would say to that is when you are reconnecting or when you are with your child to really be with them, right? Even if it's for 30 minutes and you're going to fully engage in that 30 minute time period, and then you're going to go do something else, their brain and their body is going to benefit so much more from you being fully attentive and attuned for that period of time and then moving to go do something else. And the reality of our brains in general, kids and adults, is we think that we can multitask, right? Our our culture is largely built on this idea that we need to do all things all the time. Mm. And that's actually, that's a myth. Our brains can only actually fully attend to one thing at a time. So if there's something else going on in my mind, I'm not fully attending, attending to the little person that's in front of me. And so again, that's not to say that that like your little person doesn't need your full attunement 24 hours a day, but for the time that you are reconnecting to be fully present to them is really a gift. Yes. And I think that speaks a lot to our generation. Like you said, there is such a temptation for distraction and that is a great reminder Let's shift gears a bit now. I want to talk about the health of mom and dad's relationship or even just the health of whatever relationships are in the home. How does that dynamic affect the child's brain as well? One thing that we do know about growing and developing brains is that there's a thing called the prefrontal cortex, and that is the part of our brain that's right behind our forehead, and that's the part of our brain that distinguishes us from all other animals. So it's the part of us that creates rational thought, that is empathetic, that can think about the fact that I'm thinking about things, and that part of our brain is really not fully online until kids are about four years old. Um, And even still, I mean, there's research coming out all the time to say that I think they're saying like 32 now is still not fully developed. (laughs) But all that to say, up until the age of three and four years old, your children are actively borrowing parts of your brain. So the reason that parents are so exhausted, one is because they're sleep deprived, right? (laughs) And then the other part of that is your child, in order to regulate their emotion and make sense of the world, they are actually borrowing the functioning of your prefrontal cortex. And so one thing to know is if I am for some reason in a high level of distress, if I have a lot of anxiety or fear that that I'm not really dealing with or attending to, what's going to happen is 
I, that I'm not going to have as much availability to be present to my child. So what I can say is the greatest gift that you can give your child is to do work on your own story. So we all have spaces in our life where we have had trauma. We may have had caregivers who were not attuned to us. We, it, we may have had any number of things that have come up in our story. No one has a perfect story. No one is walking into parenting with a clean slate. That's just not real life, unfortunately, in our broken world. And so what I, what I tell parents all the time is you are giving your children a gift when you are willing to do the hard work of looking at and making sense of your story so that you have the ability to be fully present to them in those mm. moments. And so I think there are a lot of parents that try to just kind of push through, grin and bear it. Um, you know, it'll get better when. What I would suggest is um, it will get better when you are doing the work to really create a coherent narrative for yourself. And you're really taking care of yourself. It's that putting your own oxygen mask on first before you can help anybody else. There's this um, phrase that we use, like you can't give what you don't have. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a space of, of distress, I would really encourage you to do something to receive support for yourself. So whether that means support for your marriage or support individually, support for another member of the family, really engaging that support is a beautiful gift. Uh, and I highly encourage it. Um, a part of my own story in my first year of parenting my oldest son, I can tell you that that was hands down. I've been married to my husband for 10 years, mm -hmm. and that was hands down the hardest year of our marriage. And that had a lot to do with what was coming out of my own story and what was being triggered. And I can tell you that it was the people in my life. It was my amazing therapist, my spiritual director, my mentors coming around me and helping me to make sense of what was happening that created so much beauty in my marriage and in my family. And I am so grateful for that period of time. So when I'm recommending this, I'm recommending it um, just from a really heartfelt and true place. Mm, thank you for sharing that because I do think it's really common in a lot of marriages and it's great to know that um, you're not alone in that. And you know, we've talked a bit about some things we can do. Is there anything we should not do when it comes to our baby's brain development? Well, one thing that I would mention about that, and this kind of relates to the last question too, I think there are a lot of parents that feel that they have to avoid any level of conflict in their home. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of reversing your question. <laughs> and one thing that I would say, there's a, there's a priest, um, he's in Italy, and his life's work has been a nuptial theology. And one of the things that he says is that peace and quiet is the job of a graveyard, not mm. of a family, wow. not of a marriage. And what he means by that is that transformative, really beautiful marriages are messy. And they're hard. And I think a lot of parents uh, feel like they can't fight in front of their children. They can't have arguments. They can't raise their voices. They can't disagree. They can't, they can't do those things because that will be damaging for their children. And I would say that, you know, screaming matches or things that are uh, aggressive or disrespectful in terms of the way that we're relating to each other, that's probably not helpful for them to witness. I can say it's definitely not helpful for them to witness. However, 
Um, when you're having respectful disagreements, even if they are heated, allowing your child to see that that is a normal part of life, and then also allowing them to see levels of repair, how to healthfully come back together and repair that, that is a really beautiful thing that you can allow your children to see. Now, again, you're not incorporating them into the disagreement, but not hiding it from them either. I can tell you I have a lot of clients that come in and tell me I never saw my parents fight once. And then one of the issues that we're working on is how to have disagreements, right? How to healthfully engage in difficult things with their spouses. And so having that representation um, where they're not going to, you know, their little brains are not going to freak out the first time they're in a state of distress with someone they're connected to, that again is a really beautiful gift to give them. Hmm, I love that perspective, and I think that's going to be good for a lot of hearts and minds today. I kind of want to apply this all now to our spiritual lives, because even though we're talking about the physical and the mental, this connects so powerfully to the spiritual. How do these healthy brain connections in early development actually set the foundation uh, for the relationship that children have with God later? What we know, again, in the attachment field is that a lot of our, the ways that we connect with our earthly parents, that then translates into the story that we tell about God. And so that can kind of have a bleak outlook if you are someone who came from a family with parents that were not attuned or were abusive or that that was a difficult place to be. Um, But the encouraging part of that is also an attachment theory and in the biblical narrative, there's this, there's this concept of earned secure attachment, right? And so through this, the beauty of redemption and how God works that through our lives, we can transform what it looks like to have a connected, secure relationship with our father. And a lot of that has to do with the connections that we have in our everyday lives. So the ways that I am able to know others, the ways that I am being known by others. We say that the way to dismantle shame is to move forward in vulnerability. So one of the questions that we ask people is who are the two to three people that on a regular basis you are meeting with, you are confessing the last time that you felt rage towards your precious little baby, right? Who are the people that really know your story and really know you? Because the degree to which we are known in our earthly relationships, that's how our brain is going to recognize how to connect with our Heavenly Father. And so as you are pouring into your little ones and as you are giving them a space to learn what secure attachment looks like, what connection looks like, what attunement looks like, you are planting the seeds for them to attribute those aspects to the Lord as well. I do want to pause now and give some hope because If someone is listening and feels like they didn't get what they needed in childhood or they've blown it with their own children, the brain is amazing also in that it's highly capable of change, right? 
Absolutely. We used to think that the brain, and by we, I mean neuroscience in general, we used to think that the brain, once it was wired, that's what you got, right? It's kind of like a computer or a machine and it's built and then you deal with it the rest of your life. And we know now that that is just not the case, Mm -hmm. that our brains are changing until the day that we die. And so there are things that we can do independently, like exercising and engaging in in novel, um, so like learning a new instrument, things like that, that can stimulate neuronal growth. But the most powerful and impactful thing that we can do for any level of neuroplastic change is relational. We are created by a relational God. He in and of himself is relational and we are created for that. Our brains assume that we are going to be in relationship with other brains. So again, kind of going back to that place, are you in a situation? And again, we do this with wisdom, but are you in a place where you have people in your life um, or people that you can seek out to say, I I need to talk about some things, Mm -hmm. right? I need to make sense of this part of my story. And sometimes that will start with a therapist or a biblical counselor. Um, But to take the time to allow yourself to be known in however you would characterize your story. Because yes, there are so many people that, you know, their parents were doing the best they could, um, but they didn't receive the attunement that they needed. And your brain can absolutely shift. Your brain can absolutely change. And your little one actually has a gift to give you in that respect, because as you are engaging them, they are changing your brain as well. And so to not to not um, discount the importance of that interaction as well. And Kelsey, as we close out, is there anything you'd like to share with new parents about building healthy minds and hearts in their children from day one? I feel like I sound like a little bit of a broken record, but not isolating, not allowing yourself to listen to the voice of shame over the voice of the people who love you, the people who are calling you forward in your giftings. I think about John 21 and the reinstallation of Peter when Jesus is on the beach and he's making breakfast and Peter and some of the disciples come back in after Jesus has risen. And he asked Peter those three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right. Mm -hmm. And I would, I, I just wonder in those moments if that last time he asked and Peter was grieved in his heart, it had more to do with the shame that he was holding, right? Like he knew that there were parts of him that didn't love Jesus. Otherwise he wouldn't have denied him. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I can let myself get bogged down in the shame of my imperfection, the shame of my sin, the shame of my brokenness, or I can look into the eyes of Jesus. And sometimes that means looking into the eyes of the people holding Jesus, right? So that if, if I'm a believer, then I have Jesus in me, which means I have him to give you as well, right? So if I am looking into the face of the people who are being Jesus for me in that moment, and he is looking back at me and saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus isn't worried about our shame. Mm -hmm. He's not worried about that. He knows it's there, but he he has work for us to do. He has really beautiful 
work for us to do with our little ones and with the people in our lives. So I would encourage you to find those faces that are going to pull you forward out of any level of shame, out of any level of isolation, and they're going to engage you and show you what beauty and goodness you have to bring into the world because you have a lot. Wow, this has been so powerful. Thank you so much. And as we finish, would you mind praying for new parents that are helping to shape these precious new minds? Oh, Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that we get to call you that. And we declare in this moment that you are that. You are a good dad. And so whatever our stories have been, whatever sense we've made of that or not, Lord, I declare your beautiful fatherhood over all of that. And Father, I pray that in these moments as we're hearing this information as we take it and discuss or think or wonder, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would hold us in those moments and create a depth of healing and beauty that we maybe have never known before. So I pray, I pray against any spirit of shame that might come against these wonderful people, these parents that are absolutely doing the best they can. And Father, I pray that you would protect them Um, from any lies the enemy would like to implant and bring forward just that spirit of curiosity, of attunement, of vulnerability, of willingness to be seen and to be known. Lord, I thank you for the work that they are doing. I thank you for their little ones. I pray a blessing on them as well. And Father, we just lift all of this up to you in the name of Jesus the Christ. Well, we are so thankful for Kelsey's amazing mind and heart for this work. If you'd like to learn more about Kelsey, the Center for Being Known, get today's show notes, or learn more about your Newborn Promise Project, please visit GrahamBlanchard.com. <laughs>